Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Detroit native veteran jazz composer, electric and acoustic bassist educator, recording artist, and businessman, Robert Hurst. We caught up with him about his newest 2018 CD called Black Current Jam and Growing Up in Detroit. Over the years, he's been on tours with the artists like Sir Paul McCartney, Charles Lloyd, Wynton Marsalis, Brantford Marsalis, Dave Brubeck, Harry Connick Jr., and many others. He has performed on over 150 diverse and critically acclaimed recordings, and a select group of these productions have garnered him Grammy Awards. He's got plenty of stories and plenty of mileage, so get to know him and dig this interview, my friends. Well, hey, man, thank you for taking a minute out for me on Jazz today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's dive right in and talk about your latest album, Black Current Jam, and I'm, I really enjoy this album. There's a lot going on, and I want to know from you, what was your artistic vision with this project? The biggest thing for me is that it's like the first time I've had like a band of um, young musicians that, are, that have played with me. You know, I've had lots of other really good bands with well-known, well-seasoned musicians, but, you know, unfortunately when you get there, you don't have the people that are, uh, take the time and learn all your music. You know, you have to kind of compromise you know, uh, uh, in order to do that. So I've been, I've been playing with these guys, and they were playing, you know, they're playing my music, and then I just started to hear things for them, you know, uh, individually. And I think with all my with all my projects, um, you know, I, I start, you know, I start with the personnel, and then I kind of write for them. On my first record, you know, I've been playing with Bradford's band, so that record was like Bradford's band with the addition of Marcus Belgrave and... And, uh, you know, I did this unrehearsed thing with Robert Glasser, and we had been playing together a lot before, you know, we recorded. So, yeah, it was, it was based on the personnel, and um, and I just wanted something to be happy, you know. Uh, some, of the, some of the music is, is uh, new that I wrote for the guys in the band, and then some of the other music is um, keeping it real, and there's a couple of the, uh, tunes kind of with a Brazilian player that I, I wrote uh, back in the mid-'80s when I went to Brazil for the first time with, uh, with Winton. Yeah, so it's just based around those guys, and, and everybody's from Detroit, you know, and, and uh, except, except for the percussionist who's, who's uh, Cuban. So, yeah, and we have, like, a similar sensibility, and, and, and uh, yeah, you know, I moved back here, and, and my band's from here, so it's kind of like a Detroit, Detroit thing, uh, you know, very influenced by Detroit and, and, and the musician and the band. Well, speaking of Detroit, I want to kind of go back to your life growing up in Detroit. Talk to me about how you got involved with, being a musician, and what jazz really swayed you when you were growing up? Um, well, so I came up in Detroit, you know, I was born in 1964, and uh, uh, so in the 70s, you know, I was, I was starting to, um, you know, hear, hear uh, music all around Detroit, uh, and, and, you know, this is kind of before, I guess DJs kind of existed, but DJs were like, like, what you're doing? They're, they were on the radio, you know? But the whole notion of a DJ playing music for a party didn't didn't really exist, you know. So there was live music. So um, you know, all over Detroit in different neighborhoods, and you know, there were certain neighborhood bands and certain neighborhood clubs. And you you know, I just I just heard live music. Uh, um, and then the Motown era, of course, you know, that was that was uh, uh, during the heyday of the Motown era. So I heard like all of these musicians from from that were actually played on the Motown records. And then all of these, you know, people that just love that music. So it was just, it was just all around. That's the, that's, that's kind of my earliest memory of it. And then my father was a jazz lover. Also, my father was a music lover, and as well as, you know, specifically a jazz lover. And he grew up with two guys that were in the Temptations uh, singing group: uh, Melvin Franklin, who was the bass singer, Richard Street, 
who came in the band later. And, like, he was always around musicians, and uh, we would go to their shows. You know, he knew them, so, you know, a couple times we went backstage, and it was really, really, really cool. And um, all the neighborhood places, in my neighborhood where I grew up, there were two uh, great clubs. One was Baker's Keyboard Lounge, which is still there. The, uh, I think it's the oldest club in the world, so they say, you know. Uh, but, yeah, it dates back to the 30s. And then there's uh, this club, W. George's, which is kind of like a local place, kind of a piano bar. And uh, we used to stop in there, like, every Sunday, you know, uh, at one of those places and just hear jazz. And, you know, my father also, in addition to growing up with the guys from The Temptations, his cousin that turned him on to the music lived right across the street from Barry Harris. So he would see, like, as a, as a, as a kid, he would see, like, um, you know, Charles McPherson and Paul Chambers and all these guys go over to Barry Harris's house because he's kind of still is, you know, probably our premier master teacher of the music. And at that time, you know, at the time, I guess in the 50s, you know, those guys would go over to his place and uh, um, and get knowledge, you know. So, um, yeah, so I, I have like, you know, my, my father wasn't a musician, but he exposed me to all of that, all of that stuff and just being around musicians all the time. And then in my teens, um, I, I guess when I was, uh, I started playing bass when I was about nine. And then, you know, when I got in my mid-teens, uh, um, uh, you know, I, I, I met Marcus Belgrave, who's a mentor around Detroit um, uh, for so many people, um, Jerry Allen, Kenny Gary, James Carter, Regina Carter. You know, uh, um, so I got a chance to play play with his band, and, and that's really where I met, you know, like all, you know, a lot of the musicians uh, around Detroit. And even, you know, uh, when... when uh, cats like Curtis Fuller and Tommy Flanagan, uh, Kenny Burrell, when they would come back to town, you know, we would get a chance, to, I would get a chance to play with them, you know, as a result of my, you know, kind of in, being endorsed by Marcus Belgrade. So that was, that was uh, uh, great for me. Did you always feel like you wanted to be a musician or did you have other dreams or aspirations for your life? I remember kind of, everyone in my family saying like lawyers and doctors made a lot of money. So I probably like kind of, fake wanted to be a lawyer or fake wanted to be a doctor. But, you know, I've only I've only had um I was a busboy at, 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 at Elias Brothers Big Boy restaurant for one day and that was my only non music job. So um yeah, it's been pretty much music. Right on. And then when I realized I wasn't gonna make it into the NBA then it really was totally music. <laughs> <laughs> well things have happened pretty well. Over the years you played with a lot of people from Charles Lloyd, Wynton Marsalis, Sir Paul McCartney, uh, you mentioned Branford, Harry Connick, Dave Brubeck. I mean, the list goes on and on. And my question to you is this. What have you learned from playing with these kinds of people that have helped you grow as a musician? Uh, good question. Um, for me, each one of them is different. You know, it would be like a different lesson learned from each one of them. When I play with Winston, we worked all the time. And we would have like a couple days off, and when we would come back, you know, come back on the road, he would have like three new tunes. So just his his uh, um, his work ethic, and of course you hear how he plays. I mean, he's like just a meticulous trumpet player, and you know he can you know play the crap out the horn, and 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 just a prolific prolific musician. So that part of him, you know, uh, just the work ethic and just the the, the notion of really working hard and taking. You know, I, I met Whitten when I was really young. I, I think I was 17, 18. And he, he made me really take the music seriously. 
it was like kind of it was always so much fun, you know. I never thought of it as like a a job, or I never thought of it as a, a culture. You know, the whole whole notion of of sustaining black music or or American music. You know, I never thought of it culturally like that. And he really made me, you know, think of it more as bigger than just whatever gig or whatever tune we're playing at that time. And with Branford, he's just like super bad. You know, I mean, I, I call him. I think there's. Uh, people that I call master musicians, and I, and I learned this terminology from um, from African musicians, and they talked about you know people that are master musicians, and it's not the guy that can play the best or the fastest or the loudest. It's the guy that can play with the most tribes all over the, all you know the surrounding tribes, and they're, and they're the communicators. And that's what I see in Bradford. I mean, he can he, you know he can go play with Sting, he can play with Public Enemy, he can play with Miles Davis, he can play you know uh, uh, classical music with the with the uh, orchestra. And he's like, you know, he's my the definition of of a master musician. You know, so, somebody like Herbie Hancock, I would consider like that. You know, and it's not it's not just about being a great musician. It's about like being able to, you know, speak all of those different uh, dialects of music. And so that's what I that's what I really aim for. You know, from being around Branford, Charles Lloyd is just super smooth and just way cool and just you know the way he plays a ballad. And, you know, just gets to, gets to his notes and, and like this. You know, makes you want to cry. You know, when you, you know, you can just play that one note that makes you want to cry. Uh, tears of joy. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, he, he's, you know, so many musical things. And I think, you know, each one of those situations that I've been in, um, I've been really lucky that it's been on a super high level as far as musicianship. And I've been able to like really always learn. I, I've ne- I, I haven't been on a gig or too many gigs where it was just, you know, I was punching the clock and just just trying to make money. So it's always been like you know, uh, uh, um, a learning experience, and I feel really blessed that, you know, those type, those type of gigs come my way. So over the years, you've been on so many projects and you've won awards, and what I want to know is, I don't want to know what your favorite award has been, but what award have you received that really surprised you, kind of threw you off guard? Uh, yeah, I guess when I, when, I was, when, I was, uh, um, when I was in high school, I was, I was a presidential scholar, and that really surprised me because it was, uh, you know, I mailed this tape in. My mom kind of made me do it, and it was I mailed it in on the day of the deadline. And uh, you know, I went through this whole process of, uh, of uh, playing and, and like kind of competitive playing. And you know, I made you know I got one scholarship, and then they nominated me to be the presidential a presidential scholar. And that was that was really cool because I you know I had never done anything like that. And at the time, it was you know uh, the, the prize money I think was five thousand dollars. And now it's something like thirty thousand dollars. So it's, it's you know it's, it's pretty crazy. And uh, you know just uh, um, winning a, a Grammy with uh, Winston the first time. Uh, yeah, you know that was that was a uh, um, that was like kind of you know it was for best performance from a group. You know, so it wasn't just like for a Grammy. You know, it was I felt like I was actually really a part of you know that whole uh, winning the Grammy because we were the best group. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. So. The one thing about your career, too, is you've been a part of soundtracks for films and videos. Is that a satisfying gig for you? Do you get more exposure? What do you think about those gigs? Uh, it's really cool. I mean, I love, uh, you know, writing music, and, and but that's something I always wanted to do, you know, just growing up and just hearing film scores, you know, um, my favorite is probably The Godfather, and and just also, you know, doing, doing like hearing the big payback and like kind of the black exploitation, Superfly and all those, you know, where the you know the I think the sound those soundtracks outlast the movies actually you know uh, and they were you know I was always 
you know, turned on by that. And I thought, you know, I thought that was something I really, I still really enjoy doing that. But I think there's people that want to do it way worse than I do. I mean, I wanted to do it and it kind of happened for me, you know, fell in my lap, you know, from, from a friendship, uh, the two, the, the, the couple films that I wrote for. Yeah, it was, it was a great experience. But, you know, at the same time, you got to, when I perform my original music with my group, I don't have to get anybody's permission. I can do whatever I want. But you have to, you know, I had a couple of scenes that were like so, I thought they were the greatest things. I still do. But, you know, for whatever reason, somebody else has, has you know, can, has a say in, in what, what you can do. So that, that's kind of, um, I guess the more, you know, the more experience, the more films you get, you get less of that. But, you know, that, you know, I just, I was right at the beginning, so they were just telling me everything to do. And, and you know, that made it a little less fun, but it was still a, a great experience. And I got, I got, I've gotten the chance to play on a lot, you know, that I didn't compose. And, you know, I, I, I like that process, you know, that collaborative thing. So you've been at this for over three-plus decades, and as we mentioned, you've played with so many people, been on so many stages. What has all this experience over the years taught you that you in turn have given to your students? I just think hard work and, 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 and patience, but you know, dedication. And you see it. You see it. Um, you see the people that are willing to do what it takes to be, you know, great at this craft. And then you see other people that aren't as committed. So I just try to get them to, to you know, realize that it takes commitment, and and they're right at the, they're right at the stage when, you know, when I was at when I was you know their age, you know, it was it was still fun, you know, music is like a fun thing, but it is you know like I mentioned, you know, that I got from when it's, it's a cultural it's a cultural significance to what we do, and you also have to make a living at it. You have to be a professional. You know, you always have to be prepared. You uh, uh, um, don't take anything for granted. I remember I did a recording. Uh, um, a few years back with a, uh, he was my roommate in college, Joe Gilman, a uh, great, great piano player on the, on the West Coast. And uh, he did this record, uh, and I was on bass, and Jeff Watts was on drums, and Joe Henderson was on uh, um, saxophone. And I remember he, had, he asked Joe Henderson if, if he wanted the music. He asked me if I wanted the music ahead of time. And this is before you could email music, you know. And I, I, I said, no, you know, I'll be, and I knew I was going to be on the road. I was going to have a chance to really check it out. And he said, Joe, Joe was immediate. Please send me the music, you know. Please send me the music, you know, because I want to, you know, I want to be on it, you know. And this is the great Joe Henderson saying that. So that kind of taught me a lesson about, you know, just just humbling yourself. It doesn't matter what the situation is, who the record is with, you know, to always just be as prepared as you possibly can. So let's say tonight you have a dream and you wake up and you sit across from yourself 30 years prior. So. 30 years younger, you see yourself, you are who you are today. What advice are you going to give your younger self? You know, practice more, of course. I was dedicated to learning how to play. And I, I think I didn't take my my career as a leader as as seriously as younger musicians do today. You know, part, partly today because there's less people to play. You know, everybody's dying. <laughs> you know, all the master musicians are... are are no longer with us, and, and, and there's no there's no more you know University of Art Blakey or University of Betty Carter or Miles Davis. So yeah, you know I, I think uh, at that at the time there's a lot of still a lot of people that I wanted to play with, and, and my concern was just learning how to play. But I think I you know I would I would take my 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 solo career more seriously. I would tell myself that you know. So the one thing about an education is it's one thing to go to school another thing to actually play on stage, but also being 
in a crowd to see a show. When you were younger in particular, what jazz show or shows did you see that really moved you? I think the first one was um, at, the, at the club I mentioned before, our Baker's Keyboard Lounge, and uh, it was Father's Day. And uh, my, my mom and I, I took my father to see the Modern Jazz Quartet. Which, you know, we were, we would have gone anyway, but, <laughs> but it was a matinee that I could get in, you know, at, at age, I was probably seven. And I remember we got, we sat right in the front row and I was right in front of Percy Heath and he sounded amazing. And I remember that was kind of the first time, cause, you know, my dad played a lot of jazz around the house, but that's the first time I kind of connected with it. And, and it really touched me because they were like, you know, and Mill Jackson was right there. And it was just soulful and bluesy and I, and I saw the connection between that. And Motown and and all the other like the funk stuff that I was listening to, I heard that, that and and also church music. You know, I heard I heard the connection between all of that stuff in that concert with the NJQ. And then Percy came and talked to me like for you know the whole break, you know, after the after the matinee, and it was just cool. He was like so approachable, and he told me about his bass. His bass was three hundred years old, and you know all of this stuff that I, you know I remember to this day. And yeah, that's probably the biggest one. I think seeing Miles Davis for the first time, you know, uh, it was like his, you know, his, in the early 80s, and it was his first concert back, or, or like his third concert back after he had taken the long sabbatical. And that was really cool just to see like a legend like right there. And it was, it was, that was pretty meaningful. If you look back on your careers, we've mentioned 30 plus years, you've been all over, you've played with so many people. Are you happy with what's happened up to this point? Are you satisfied with your career? I'm happy. I wouldn't say satisfied. You know, I want to just keep getting better, and 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 you know, I want to. I want to. There's so much that I want to do. You know, as far as as composition or orchestral things, uh, writing for strings, writing for large ensembles. You know, uh, um, getting my band on the road is hard. To have a band of unknown musicians, it's harder to have a band of unknown musicians and 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 get a tour together. You know, we can get gigs here and there, but. You know, just to have like a sustainable thing like that. So I'm not really satisfied as far as that's concerned, but I am very happy because I, I look back on my career and I've, you know, I, I love, you know, some of the things that I've done and, 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 and they've made me a better person and a better musician. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm very happy. My family makes me happy. You know, my daughter is in her final semester of college and yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I love it. <laughs> so why do you love jazz? Uh, I love music, you know. I I love music, period, you know. And and I I I, do, I am a jazz lover, but I love all music, you know. I mean, as much of a cliche as that sounds, you know. And I think for for me, why I specifically love jazz is 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 such a challenge. I love being around the musicians, you know, jazz musicians that can play. They're always really smart. So even you know, off the bandstand, it's it's, it's very inspiring to be around that. And then, you know, being a black man in America, a black man from Detroit, I love that I'm, I'm supporting our culture. You know, I love, I feel very strongly to be dedicated to like something that's such a great art form. And it's, it's changed the whole world, you know, it's changed the whole world and it comes from black Americans. So, you know, I feel very proud to be part of that lineage and the lineage of, you know, Miles and, and 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 Ron Carter and John Coltrane and all these great musicians, I feel I feel like at this age, you know, I, I didn't always feel that way, but now at this age, you know, I feel like I am part of that lineage. So that makes me just spiritually, that just is it, very fulfilling for me to be in that club. 
So everything's going to come down to this to kind of get to the essence of you. Everyone has a perception or an interpretation of who they think you are, your family, your friends, and your fans. But you live your life. You know yourself. Who do you think you are? I think I'm a, a, a good father, good husband, you know, good musician. I generally put positive energy into the world. I, I generally repel not positive energy <laughs> or, 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 or I fight for uh, good, you know, I fight for love. I think I fight for everything. I don't know how successful I am at all of that, but I, I fight for everything that I think is good in the, in, in the world. And there's like... Not everybody's doing that. You know, some of our, our leaders and, and people in power, they, they, I don't think they're doing that. You know, there's a very self-serving sentiment going, going around and, and, and the opposite of love, the opposite of, uh, you know, respect. People don't want to uh, come together. You know, people are, and I think certain people promote fear so we won't come together. Uh, because if we do come together, then they would be obsolete. You know, I, I just but like to say that about myself. I'm, I'm fighting for, like, positivity and love and, you know, good music. Beautiful. That's a great, resounding way to wrap everything up. Robert, thank you for opening up about your newest album and about your life in music, man. And thank you for the thank music. You. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Detroit, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Robert for his time, his music, and his stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything all the time, you can go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.